Uh, James, open in front of us, and uh, let's again go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you're the one who gives us such great things, not only in this life, but especially in terms of our relationship with you. Thank you for being a rich father. Please help us to know how to relate to you rightly, that we might respond to your riches towards us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the connection, the link, between idolatry and adultery? Idolatry and adultery. Yahweh, Israel's God, warned the people when they came out of Egypt to make sure they worshipped him and not to go after other gods. For he was the one who gave them wells that they did not dig, houses they did not build, iPhones they did not connect. But make sure you do not go after the gods of the Canaanites, the gods of the land of the people which I'm driving out from before you. One of the popular gods of the Canaanites is the god Baal. Baal was actually a god who was the fertility god. He was the one who was meant to dig the rain, to uh, have a lush crop, to bring the fertile harvests. You know what the worship of Baal often involved? There are no children in the room, no good, uh, no one under 18. Um, the, the worship of Baal often involved sexual immorality. Uh, in the history of uh, the Old Testament, a lot of pagan worship had uh, temple prostitutes. The worship of false gods, idolatry and adultery, well, that wasn't the connection you expected, isn't it? Pagan religion and sexual immorality often went together. That's one link. But here's the second link, a more, in a sense, important link. Yahweh, Israel's God, said this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, coming up on the screen there. Do not follow the other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Very strange, isn't it, that God can be a jealous God. You thought jealousy is a bad thing, a sinful thing. How can God be jealous? There is a right jealousy though, isn't there? Imagine a husband, good, noble husband, you know, does all the right things, and then the wife cheats on him. Finds someone at work who's taller, darker, more handsome, earns more money, and has an ongoing affair with this other man. What happens when the husband finds out? If his reaction is, oh, well that's nice, honey, uh, did you enjoy yourself? <laughs> That husband does not care, does he? That husband has no love. That husband does not want to protect the exclusive relationship. He does not want to guard that exclusive relationship. That is in marriage. The jealousy of a husband is actually right. God in the Old Testament, Yahweh, he was the husband to his people Israel. They were like the bride. If they went after other gods, that is the same as spiritual 
adultery. You know that what the really ironic thing is? God, Yahweh, was the one who gave them, remember? All the crops, gave them all the uh, produce of the good land flow with milk and honey. The ironic thing is, not only did they go after another God, but they go after another God called Baal, who was meant to give them the fertility of the land. What a spit in God's face to say, oh, we'll find another God to give us what you have already given to us. The Israelites often uh, had syncretism. They had a bit of Yahweh, a bit of God, and also a bit of Baal, and maybe a few other gods all put together just to see which one will work. All together at the same time, but it was actually a spit in God's face. Verse 4 5 in that passage from James, have a look at it. James does not mix his words, does he? He says, You adulterous people, again in the footnote, says, You adulteresses. It's, it's the feminine, not because he's against women, but he's, he's playing on the idea of Israel as the adulteress, as the, the female unfaithful partner to God, her husband. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, a girlfriend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. And then verse 5, you see the jealousy there of God. Do you not suppose that it's to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit he's made to dwell in us. God, even the New Testament, is a God of jealousy. He does not want us to flirt with the world. But you say, well, you know, I'm sure I wouldn't go into spiritual adultery. I wouldn't flirt with the world like that. What's greed? According to Paul in Colossians chapter 3 coming up on the screen, greed is idolatry. Greed is the worship of false gods. The wanting of more and more. The love of money. That's what the rich young ruler had the problem, isn't it? He loved his money more than Jesus. But it's not just loving money or putting it first, it's actually trusting the money, isn't it? If you remember the story of the rich young ruler, it's in contrast to the little children, right? The little children, they're humble. In other words, they've got no one else to trust other than someone else. But the rich young ruler, he could be independent. He could trust himself. He could trust his own money. And so when Jesus says, give up all your money, he says, he can't. For the money was his God, was his idol, was that with which he depended upon. Baal was a God like that. The people put their trust in Baal. Another word for Baal is materialism. That's another word for greed. It's, and you know what? Materialism is a religion. There's an object, or many objects, of worship. Secondly, they have a Bible for whatever catalogue comes your way in your posts. They have centres and places of worship. In KL it's called the Megamore. In Singapore it's called I Satan, Istan. <laughs> Every Sunday people flock there, don't they? That's where they worship. They call it retail therapy. It is 
for God's people, if they go after the world like that, it is spiritual adultery. It is a spit in God's face. It is stupid, it is serious. Well then, if it is so serious, why is it that it's so easy to run after greed, to run after bow? Because, point two, of the attractiveness of bow. Obviously, uh, the money, etc., the things that money can buy can bring you happiness. It's attractive, isn't it? We've learnt it since we were very small when we got that happy meal. You know why the kids feel so happy? Right? It's the salt, it's the sugar, it's the oil, but it's the toy as well, isn't it? I know some of you probably still get happy meals, don't you? Um, <laughs> but as we grow up, we get sort of other kinds of happy meals, and we buy other things that make us feel fulfilled and, and happy and pleasurable. Well, look at James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that it's your passions? It's the same word translated pleasures. Is it not your pleasures that are at war among you? Or down in verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your pleasures, on your passions. This desire for happiness is what drives it. To bring home the shopping bag. Us guys says, oh, we don't go shopping like that. Uh, we just do it at home on eBay. The joy of winning that eBay bid, isn't it? When it comes up and says to you, congratulations. And then there's a the second thrill when your doorbell rings a few days later and the thing actually comes. That feeling that we have when we buy that Toyota, you know, jump. You don't have that ad here? No, don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> In Australia, it's a lad. Oh, what a feeling! And this, these people jump up like this. Um, the desire, that happiness. No, it's happiness. Not just happy for my in myself. It's got to do with the Joneses. Uh, you heard of that phrase, keeping up with the Joneses? Or there's a movie recently uh, that came out last year or two ago called The Joneses, and it's all about this family that moves into one of the suburbs of uh, USA, and uh, they're very cool. Uh, Parents are very cool teenagers. They are all the little, little white things. It's all pointing to what bits of their garment they wear. It's all really designer stuff and how much each is and all the accessories. And these are these are kids who have all the right gadgets and they're always upgrading their TV and things like that. And you know, iPhone three, iPhone four, five, six. You know, every time it comes up, they're there lining up for it. And uh, these are the cool people. And but you know what? In the in the film, they're not actually a real family. It's a marketing ploy, right? People get together and they're meant to make the rest of the community feel like they need more, they need more. Keeping up with the Joneses. But of course, in real life, you don't actually need a marketing ploy like that. There are real Joneses or real Wongs and Lees around us that we want to compete with. See, it's not just that I have iPhone 4 and I want an iPhone 5, but I want especially the iPhone 5 because my neighbour has iPhone it as well, and it's that competition, isn't it? But not only the competition, uh, you see the competition there, don't you, in verse 1 to 3 of uh, James 4, the competitiveness, the fighting amongst each other, the, uh, the craving, the... But it's not only that, it's also the desire for control and security, isn't it? Uh, as many of us are, as Asians, we know what that's like. 
historically Asians have always been going from one country from to another to another, just escaping from uh, disasters, escaping. You know, they go from China to Malaysia to Singapore and to Sydney, and <laughs> it's always escaping and it's always trying to find a better life, a safer life. A we want security. We want control of our life. And money seems to give it to us, isn't it? Just imagine if you can be like this person in Luke chapter 12 that Jesus describes. Thank you. Next slide. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. See, again, it's about crops. And then, what should I do? He says, I've got nowhere to store my crops. I'll build bigger bounds. And, and, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Verse 19 is a beautiful one, isn't it? How Asian is this? I'll say to myself, ah, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. Wouldn't it be good? By the time you are 40, you can retire and just enjoy life. To have that security. That is the attractiveness of that. But it is a lie. Because Baal is a false god, it is a lie. It is not true. That's the nature of all false gods. That's why you call them a false god. The Apostle Paul in Romans 1.25, coming up on the screen, says, People exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve the created things rather than the creator, whose forever praised. Well, chapter 4 of Mark, Mark 4.19, Jesus says, remember in the parable of the free soils, the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth is deceitful. It lies to us. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 45, coming up on the screen, Isaiah makes fun of the, the idols, the wooden idols. He talks about how, you know, you get a block of wood uh, from a tree, half of it you burn up in your fire to make, keep yourself warm and to cook on, and the other half of the wood you build an idol and you worship it. Can't you work out the same bit of wood? It's so stupid. This bit of wood can actually do anything for you. So Isaiah 45, 20 says that uh, you're ignorant. You carry around these idols of wood and people pray to these gods who cannot save. I was back in Hong Kong a little while ago, actually a long while ago now, and um, there was this big idol in one of the Hong Kong islands. I was about to find that three stories tall. And in the bottom of these idols, this idol, there's all this food and fruit you know, that people had put around the, the idol. So I walked up to it, I looked at it, I looked at the fruit, I looked at it again, and I said in Cantonese, Sick Latin gun, sick Eat! Why don't you eat it? in a loud voice so that everyone sort of turned and see what I was doing. But the idol can't do anything. Can't eat. It, it can't, they cannot save you. Well, how is it that money then cannot save? How is it that money is a lie? One of the lies that money gives is that money makes the world go around. Those of us who are a bit older know that it comes from a 1960s musical called Cabaret but uh, we won't go into that now, and the younger ones don't understand those kind of things. We only understand that money never sleeps, isn't it? That's how we understand it. And so, um, uh, Gordon Gecko, uh, next slide, thank you, in uh, the Great Wall Street movie, says greed, for lack of a better, better word, is good. Greed is good. Greed is right. Right. Greed works. Money makes the world go around. 
money never sleeps. Is that true? Is that true that our whole world is dependent on, on money and if we, if, if we stop consuming, if we stop buying, buying more and more stuff, that the whole world would stop? It sounds true because what the big companies have done is they have manipulated both our demand as well as their supply. They make us feel we need more even though we already have what we need. But all the advertising is to say, ah, you don't have enough. It creates discontent. It makes us want to think we need some more. But what happens as a result? What happens as a result is where there are real needs in the world, like people who are poor, instead of us putting some resources, human resources, money into actually building roads in Africa or infrastructure or whatever, we actually put our money and our best minds and our best people into companies so that people can have more of what they do not need. Uh, we spend the money we do not have, credit card debt, on things that we do not need in order to impress the people we don't really care about. Money makes the world go around, but it doesn't. It creates a bigger divide between the rich and the poor. And all the consumerism, well, that's what's really caused the global financial crisis, isn't it? People always wanting bigger and better houses, so they'll borrow to the max. And banks who want to make more and more interest, so they'll let you lend as much as you can and not really caring whether you can pay back. And our desire for more stuff that means we need more energy. And over the years that has led to the oil spills, as we need more oil, one of the problems of that Japan earthquake now is, you know, all the nuclear desire. Well, we need the nuclear stuff because we need the energy to produce all those Sony products. And it's really worrying now because China's catching up and there's more and more cars and less and less bicycles and the carbon footprint and, and all that. In the end, it catches up with us. It is not true that money makes the world go around. It is money in our greed stuffs up our world. What makes the world go around? Listen to the psalmist uh, coming up on the screen there. Psalm 104. God makes the grass grow for the cattle and the plants for man to cultivate, bring forth food from the earth. Even wine that gladdens the heart of man. Nothing wrong with wine per se. God is the one who gives it to us, even for our enjoyment. Oil to make his face shine, bread to sustain his heart. Or Psalm 104. Who feeds the lions? Who makes the sun rise? Who lets man go out to his work and to labour? It's God who in the end is working. See, God is the one who causes the world to go around. He's the one who gives us what we need. And you know what? In the macroeconomic scale, when the final end comes, what will happen to our world system of this whole um, money-making, consumerist system? Revelation 18 tells us, isn't it? Remember Babylon? Remember the Tower of Babel? Remember humankind wanted to go up to the heavens to make a name for ourselves? In Revelation 18 speaks of the fall of Babylon. Babylon's a way of, I think, talking about this whole world system. 
Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. There's the idea of adultery again. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. The merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. And it goes on about the trade that people are involved with. And then in verse 10, as it describes the fall of this, this world system, this even the economics of the world system, the luxury, the riches, it says, people cry, people weep for Babylon. For in one hour, your doom has come. 9-11 was a great picture of that. It's a very sad uh, terrorism, but it's not a good thing. I guess from the Arab world, what is Western capitalism? Where is it most clearly defined is in New York, isn't it? And where better than in the trade towers? In one hour, it went down. When Jesus comes again, this world is not going to last. In one hour, we'll be destroyed. And that's just on the macro, but on the micro scale, it's true as well. Uh, there's a thing called affluenza. Uh, that's actually named by non-Christians around the world today. People who realise that the, um, the affluence of the West is actually like a flu. Right? That's why you've got affluenza. Uh, it, it actually is not good for people. It's not good for people's health. Uh, they say that uh, in healthy countries, sorry, not healthy, wealthy countries, right, in, especially in the West, uh, the more money people have, and they actually look at statistics, actually people are more stressed, they have more anxiety, more worry, and there's more mental health issues, and, and the list goes on. And so even non-Christian people can see that money does not make people any happier. How do you solve discontent? Well, the world's answer is buy more, isn't it? Which is a silly idea. It does not work because the more you buy, the more you feel you need to buy. I mean, how long does a Happy Meal make you feel happy? How long does your shopping bag make you feel happy? Just one week until you have to go back again. Look at what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 30. On the screen. A heart at peace gives life to the body. But envy rots the bones. That envy, that covetousness, that always wanting what the Joneses have and you do not. Proverbs 23 verse 4. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. You don't wear yourself out. People work 50, 60, 70 hours a week just to pay off the mortgage. They really have to get that bigger house in order to beat their, their peers or satisfy their family. Look at what Ecclesiastes says. The sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich man permits him no sleep. Okay, it's almost the opposite to what you expect, isn't it? Because we all uh, think, oh, if only I could have an extra, you know, uh, 2000 a month, then I'd be able to relax and not have to worry about money. But no, no, the more you have, the more you've got to worry. So the more stuff you buy, you've got to wonder, how do I protect it from someone stealing it? How do I protect it from going wrong? How do I... It is the rich who lay at night worrying. And so Proverbs 
speaks of how, 15 verse 27, next slide, the greedy man actually brings trouble to his family. Oh, you may have many friends, Proverbs 19, but friends who are fair weather friends, friends who are only your friends when you give them gifts, friends who are only there when you are rich, but when you are poor, they leave you. A great lie, money is. Oh, I like this out. This one. This is Proverbs is great. Proverbs has such wisdom in life. This one, Proverbs thirteen verse eight. A man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. Lega, uh, Mr. Lee, uh, Lee. I don't know which one. He's one of the rich men, right? His son. Next slide. His son Victor Lee. Uh, there's the old man. Lee, this is Little Lee. Uh, Little Lee got kidnapped a few years ago and had to pay had to pay a billion dollars to, to get him out of the kidnapping. Okay, you're rich, you like to get kidnapped. But it's good, you can pay for it, huh? You got the money to pay for it. So that's what the Proverbs are saying, isn't it? Just go back a slide, it's what Proverbs are saying. Proverbs 39, a man's riches may ransom his life. Poor man, like us, you know, no one's going to kidnap us, you know. We don't even have to worry about getting kidnapped unless you're travelling up the highway in Malaysia. But, um, <laughs> riches adds more money, adds more stress in life. It actually, point C then, enslaves you. Matthew chapter 6 says the great uh, classic verse, is that nothing wrong with stuff with money as long as it serves you. But when you serve it, when it becomes the master, it enslaves you. Shopping, you know, it's, it's an addiction, isn't it? And there is the law of diminishing returns. In the end, does not deliver. In the end, you need more and more of it, more and more frequently, just like a drug addict, in order to get a bit more satisfaction. Proverbs 27, verse 20 says this. Next slide, thank you. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of man. They're the things that we can see that we wish, you know, window shopping, that's talking about, you know. That we're never satisfied, we always want the latest, the next, the... If you find honey, Proverbs 25:16, eat just enough. Too much of it, and you will vomit. One of my daughters uh, really loved mangoes. And uh, when she was about six, she ate a lot of her. One time, three mangoes in a row, you know. And afterwards, she just felt so sick, and then she actually vomited. And you know, when you actually vomit some food, that from then on, you don't like it, you know. She doesn't like mangoes anymore. Eat just enough, right? The Proverbs have been saying it all along. See, always wanting more, in the end, does not satisfy. The James chapter 4, verse 14. Come back to James there. James 4, verse 14. What will happen in the end? There's the prior person, isn't it, in verse 13. Next year we'll go here, go there, do a master's, get a PhD perhaps, uh, get some experience, work for a good company or the big five. Make a profit. But how do you know, James 4, 14? How do you know? How do you know you're going to make a profit? How do you know, you know the, 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 the bubble was not going to burst, whatever it is, in terms of the dot-com or the housing? or How do you know? 
this point, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You are but a mist that appears for a little while and then you disappear. Verse 16, it's our arrogance that leads us to such a person. There was a lady uh, back at the university where I am involved with um, who just got her master's. She was just about to get married. She was walking up the uni in order to collect her documents so she can go back to Thailand, I think it was. Uh, to, her world was right in front of her. But also in front of her, as she walked up the hill, was a truck. And uh, the driver, I think, had left. The handbrake somehow came off and rolled back onto her. She died. There's a little plaque there at the uni. When she was walking up to collect her papers, she was not expecting not to be able to walk back down the uni. Death can catch up us at any time. Uh, one of our friends, uh, this, this last uh, two weeks, um, who was in our church before, he was just in, in KL and, you know, bystander, you know, having supper at night, and then all these bikies were racing, and one of the bikies sort of swerved and hit the crowd, and he was the only one in the crowd that got hit. And he's in hospital, in ICU, and it's hard to know how, how much, you know, of his brain function um, will come back. Sickness and death and accident can take us at any time. Which of us can say that 100% next year I'll be back here at Snago Camp? I mean, you might, of course you want to be, wouldn't you? Uh, but which one of us can say that we'll definitely be back? None of us are sure of the future. Death spells the end of, of all our security. We are but a mist. Bow says, he who dies with the most toys wins. God says, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. Now, most of us have heard some of that before, and most of us can say, okay, you know, sometimes I uh, drift into that, and, you know, I need to repent of this or that, and... But there's ways in which bow actually come into our life in a way that is more subtle than just, you know, pure shopping, greed, uh, wanting more. Point four, bow in Yahweh's clothing. You've heard of the term uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing? A wolf in sheep's clothing? Well, he's bow in Yahweh's clothing. Here's three ways in which bow, the worship of false gods, actually disguises itself in a way that seems very Christian. Number one is the idea of God's blessing. Now, I don't like uh, saying this, and I don't say it lightly, but a lot of the churches that preach a prosperity gospel, at best, it is false advertising. At worst, it is actually the worship of Baal. At best, it's false advertising because it promises people blessing, physical blessing, material blessing, money, uh, wealth, now. 
there's a church uh, in, in Sydney uh, called Hillsong. This thing takes... Anyway, we'll sort that out later. Uh, called Hillsong. <laughs> and, um, and its leader called Brian Houston, who wrote a book uh, called You Need More Money. And in this book, he actually uh, has chapters and he says that what you need to do if you are a Christian and you really trust God is you should go to the best suburb you know, go to the best street in that suburb, go to the best house of that street, pray to God, pray it, claim it, and God will give it to you. And she says it in, in the book, black and white. Now you know that is a lie, isn't it? Because statistically that cannot happen. Right? If all of us faithful Christians work out rightly which is the best street, the best house, then how can it all be, there's only one house there, how can it all be, your, you can't, they again and again promise too much too early. They often um, look at the Old Testament, like Deuteronomy chapter 8 that we looked at, and they say, oh, it's God who gives you the power to get wealth. But they do not see it. Now that's in the context of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, Israel was a nation, right? And they had a real physical promised land. That's why the blessings were physical. But now for us as Christians, the blessings are not necessarily physical. Those who are, uh, what's it, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12, all who desire to be godly in this life will be prosperous, is not what the verse says. It's all who desire to be godly in this life will be persecuted. You don't, there's no promise that we're actually going to get wealth in this life. And yet these churches, this gospel, keeps on promising that. They were on the right thing, but it's too early. Yes, in heaven, we'll have spiritual wealth as well as physical wealth, but that's in heaven. But not now. Now our blessing in Ephesians chapter 1 is the spiritual blessing. And they show you great numbers, thousands of people who come to these churches. They line up at the, it's only at churches like ours, they line up at the door, isn't it? before the time the, the service starts. But in those churches, they're all lining up. But what they don't show you is the number of people going out the back door month by month. People who've tried this and yet God has not helped them, has not given them success. They're not one of the people up the front, you know, who are getting, giving testimonies saying, you know, look at my business now. No, they're the disappointed, the disillusioned. Those who may even feel, oh, Maybe I don't have enough faith. Or worse still, maybe God is not there. Or God does not care. False that that should be sued, I reckon. It's false advertising. But that's the best it is. The worst is that it's actually the worship of Baal. See, in many Asian religions, uh, there's this money god, right? You go to the money god, and uh, you borrow money, you sort of borrow money uh, from the money god, and then you use his money to, over the year, do good business. And hopefully the money God will bless you, because it's his money anyway. And so what you do then is, after you actually make real money, then some of the people will go back to the Buddhist temple or whatever and help the temple and actually you know, make a bigger temple and stuff like that. So it's the Asian bow, isn't it? It's, it's, the, it's the God who's meant to provide physical blessing for me now. But how is that different from some of these prosperity gospel churches? I'll tell you how it's different. In the prosperity gospel churches, they want your money first. 
You don't borrow from them. Right? They say, give us money, give us your prayers and your money, and then we'll pray for you, and then you'll get the blessing. But in the end, it is still the worship of Baal, isn't it? It is still a cover-up, a, a disguise of the love of riches. It is just the worship of money under a different label for Jesus. Secondly, Baal gets dressed up in Yahweh's clothing in the idea of calling. Here we're getting a bit more close to home. In the pagan world, they call it career. That is, a career is where you become your work. Right? That's the difference between a job and a career. A job, you know, you work at McDonald's or wherever. Uh, that's just, you work and you get some money and, you know. A career is you have a trajectory. A career is you want to climb the ladder. A career is you become a better person. You look at any of the ads, it always says, we will train you, we will send you overseas, give you overseas experience. You'll become a better engineer. You'll, in other words, you'll be a better person. You are your work and the two are tied together. And people at work actually give you pats on the back. I remember when I was working um, as a, what, uh, what they call glorified clerk, an intern in the hospital, first year out. And uh, you actually don't know very much. You're just there filling forms and things like that. But uh, at the end of the day, um, about 6 p.m., my, my registrar, my sort of big boss, he came up to me, had me on the back, Joshua, you are a great resident, uh, in, in, in a great MO in your terms, right? Now, I was just a little intern, a nobody, but he patted me on the back and said I was a great, not just intern, but resident, you know, second or third year out kind of doctor. And so, wow, that made me feel so good. And so I worked harder for him over the next two weeks just because of that pat on the back. Friends, they do to you all the time at work. It's called the six monthly review, right? <laughs> and they just stroke you. They give you symbols of success. I know a friend in Singapore who said he got a promotion. Did you get more money? No. What did you get? Oh, they just called me by a different name. <laughs> I had a, I got a friend in Sydney, she was working um, with a small company, actually at that stage it was her and her boss, and her boss said to her one, uh, one day, I'm going to give you a promotion. She said, who am I going to manage? Myself? You know? <laughs> but that's what they do, they give you better names, they give you, you know, symbols of success, but you know, the great symbol these days is a laptop, isn't it? You know why they give you a laptop? It's so that when you're actually in the toilet, you can still be working. <laughs> I kid you not, I was in a, in a hotel, in, in, hotel in, in Singapore, I think it was, and there was an internet puggy next to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> you see, we take it as a symbol of success. Oh, I'm so needed, I'm a somebody. But in the end, it is a boy. Anyway, that, that's career, okay? That's, that's what career is. If your work fails, you fail. Right? You so link yourself, you identify with you. That's career. Christians call it a calling. God has called me to be a, an engineer. 
God has called me to be a doctor. God has called me to be a dentist. God has called me to this. And so I must, um, by, my, by my work, serve him and, and bring in God's kingdom. They're justified by passages like Ephesians chapter 6. You can go to Ephesians chapter 6. Passage we know well about slaves and masters. Verse 7. Serve wholeheartedly as if serving the Lord. See? It's an See? I'm serving the Lord. I've got to do wholeheartedly. 110%. Stay back, sleep overnight at the office. Because Jesus is my client. I'm there for him. It's my calling in life. But if you look more carefully at that passage, wholeheartedly does not mean give 110% in, in selling your soul to your career and work. So if wholeheartedly means, verse 6, do it from the heart. In other words, be genuine. In other words, uh, do not just work when the master, when your boss is working. Uh, be 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 faithful in your work so that even when they're not looking you're still working faithfully diligently that's all it means but we take it as though it justifies our career and so it is amazing that God the Holy Spirit keeps on calling people into middle class kind of professions isn't it have you ever seen, heard anyone say, I think God, the Holy Spirit is leading me to be a garbage collector? You don't. He's always leading people into professional work. We have a very middle class kind of Holy Spirit. <laughs> it is the dressing up of bow in Yahweh's clothing. Third one, bringing honour to the family. Now, like all of Satan's lies, the lies of the idols, there's a half-truth in it. And so, here's a few verses, uh, Proverbs 10, Proverbs 29, uh, uh, don't go too fast, 10. The prophets of Solomon, a wise son brings joy to his father, a foolish son grief to his mother. Don't know why the fathers get the joy, the mothers get the grief, but there you go. Um, or 29 verse 3. A man who loves wisdom uh, is, a again, a joy to uh, the father. But look at the opposite. Uh, the companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. So maybe what brings joy is not so much you know, success in this world's term, but what brings joy is maybe godliness, uh, as opposed to being like the uh, prodigal son, you know, squandering the wealth. But there's this sense that, yes, yes, um, yeah, we are to bring joy to our parents. There's a little question, what actually is real joy? And for the real passage um, that a lot of these people talk about is Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 4, isn't it? Again, well-known passage uh, to all of us. I think Asian Christians, Western Christians, uh, you actually get it right, but us Asian Christians... We think that this actually backs up traditional Asian thinking. That is, children should always obey their parents for their life. And so when you as an adult, or maybe even married 
child. You're still a child of your father or mother, isn't it? But when your father and mother says, you know, I want you to do this job. I want you not to marry that person. I want you to go live here. Because they want a good face, they want to be able to say a yamcha to auntie so-and-so, oh, my son's the engineer and, you know, he's doing a PhD and he's going to migrate to this USA and he's going to be really good and work on the top floor of the World Trade Center. And when, when, they, when they boast like that, when they boast like that, we feel like, oh yeah, Ephesians 6 verse 1 to 4, you know, I really, I've got to obey them, don't I? But friends, that, that's a half-truth. Because I think children here is about little children, like, like my kids. Because verse 4 says that fathers are to bring up their children. And the purpose of, of raising children is that you bring them up. And definitely by the time they get married, when they should leave father and mother, they're, they're no longer under your authority in, in, in the same way. That is, as adult children, adult Christian children, we have to honour our parents, yes. Until, not only until we die, or until, until, until always we're to honour our parents. But not necessarily by obeying them blindly. Especially when what they want is not the fee instruction of the Lord. Especially when what they want is actually the whole system of the world. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Oh yes, there's a half-truth that we are to repay our parents because of what they have done for us. However, I don't think that means that we need to then uh, do everything to give to them so that they can live an extra luxurious life afterwards. So a lot of times when we graduate, uh, our parents say to us, oh, you know, that's great. Now, can you buy this bigger house so that we can retire in? And the big mansion, and so... Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's not for children to save up for parents, but for parents to save up for children. That is, yes, we should repay our parents in terms of if they are in, in need, then we've got to make sure we look after them, make sure they're not out on the street, make sure... But it doesn't mean that we've got to actually help them to have the same lifestyle, increase their lifestyle. In the end, Matthew chapter 10, look what Jesus says. We've got to love Jesus more than our parents, isn't it? Sometimes this idea of honouring parents is actually bowed in Yahweh's clothing. Well then, if we actually see through all this, we need to actually make a choice, isn't it? Remember here in James chapter 4, you actually cannot be friends with the world and be friends with God at the same time. Jesus says you cannot actually serve money and him at the same time, serving on the mount. You either hate one and love the other or you're devoted to one and despise the other. It's, it's, it's either war. The classic one is from 1 Kings. Remember 1 Kings? 
Brother and Elijah and Mount Carmel. These are the people of God in the promised land. They, they got there, they got all the riches, and what did they do? They start worshipping the bow. And have a bit of bow, a bit of God, you know, like the Hindus have, you know, all the gods as well as Jesus, and you know, a bit of everything all mixed together. But remember the challenge of Elijah. Verse 21, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? That's syncretism, isn't it? That's having a bit of both, wanting the best of both worlds. That's James, isn't it? Being double-minded, being not someone who trusts God. How long will you waver between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. They can tell the uh, Israelites were really Asian because the people said nothing. <laughs> At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. They're, they're trying to, you know, get their God to, you know, come down with fire and light up the sacrifice, get Baal to do that. And nothing happens, you see. And so Elijah starts taunting the, the prophets of Baal. Shout louder. Surely he's God, uh, you yeah? tongue in cheek. Uh, perhaps he's in deep thought. Or busy, uh, it really should be, and busy in the toilet, right? Uh, or travelling. Maybe he's on a journey and maybe up playing golf. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Yeah, come on. And so they do all their stuff to try to get this bow to do something, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. This bow is a false God. He does not deliver. Prince, we have a choice. If money, career, our parents and all their desire of the world, oh, they love us, but they just want the desire of the world for us. If that is God, follow it. Don't try to be Christian as well as follow it. Just, just follow it. I mean, if that's God, then go for it. Very hard to stand with a one foot on the pier and one foot on the boat when the boat is moving away from the pier, isn't it? It gets a bit painful. <laughs> Just, you know, if thou is God, get on the boat, follow him and enjoy life for a little while. Well, the boat sinks. But if God is God, then follow him. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your challenge, the challenge of your word to us. We confess that so often it is so easy to be a friend of the world, so easy to think that we want just what everybody else has and to keep up with everyone and to have the latest gadget, to have the things that just to make us happy. Or even to think that you must give us prosperity. Or to think that our career is your calling for us. Or that we should fulfill our parents' dreams. Our Father, we pray that we might recognise the lie of these false gods. Help us to see that you are the true God who has given us eternal life, forgiveness, adoption, that you are the one who satisfies.
But you're the one who takes us beyond this life to eternity. So, Father, help us to see the choice before us and to recognise that you are God and that we might follow you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. I've been told that I can have um, some question time and we'll eat into the, the Bible study a little bit. doesn't matter if you don't finish the Bible study, you've got two other sessions on it. And, uh, I wonder if there's any questions or comments about the things I've said so far today. Yes. Uh, oh, we can hear you, that's all right. We can hear you. Thank you. Very good uh, question. Uh, I was in a conference. Oh, I'll repeat the question. Um, um, he's, he's a bow worshiper. I think that's basically what that's what he said. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Um, um, uh, the, the question was, um, uh, what, what, what do I usually say to the students, as they, uh, Christian students, as they face the workforce? How do they... Um, uh, engage with the workforce, and, uh, and there is an opportunity for evangelism, uh, that was noted at the beginning, and yet how do uh, they evangelise and use that uh, opportunity, yet at the same time avoid the careerism and to think that uh, by their success at work, as it were, they are uh, fulfilling God's calling for them. Have I got the gist of it? Um, I, was, I was in a conference recently, and there was a... Um, I think it's a Singapore conference, we had the conference up here, and there's a, a guy in that church down there who was actually a CEO of five companies. I couldn't remember whether simultaneously, probably not, but one after the other, I suspect. And I gave the kind of talk I just gave. And he was a Christian man, and he put up a question, he asked the comment, a question at the end. He said, Joshua, are you saying to me that what I need to be uh, is... Now, I just explained uh, Ephesians 6, right? And that, you know, it's about, you know, who all your heart is about faithfulness, you see. And he said to me, um, see, all my life I've been working on the motto to be faithful as a Christian and successful in my work. Faithful as a Christian and successful in my work. Right, that was his motto, the you know, five companies. Are you saying to me, he said after listening to it, are you saying to me that I should instead be faithful in my work, but aim to be successful as a Christian. You see the flip around? Right. Work is just, yeah, just be diligent, just be faithful, but what you've really got to go after is godliness and to you know, be successful in God's eyes in being a Christian. And I said to him, yeah, I've never thought of it that way, but that's a good way of putting it, isn't it? Flipping it around. What is it that we're really aiming for and going for in life? You see, in Ephesians chapter 6, even the slave, right, even the slave can be pleasing to God. Or Titus chapter 2, even the slave can make the gospel attractive. And so even in, uh, I say to the students, even in terms of um, the evangelism, um, it is not where they are in the picking order in the company that attracts people really to become a Christian. 
it is your godliness at your work. How you do your work in that sense as a Christian that brings the gospel uh, into good repute. Because even the slave, right, the lowest of the low, can do that rather than where you are in the world's uh, standards. So that's what I say.